And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Uh, Stu, by the way, I got some good feedback on, remember we I raved about the Carolina Gold barbecue chips from Trader Joe's? I am uh, I'm not alone in... Uh, folks who think that our pal Jason Baum, who now works at University of Tennessee, also raves about them. So um, let me tell you something. I had over the Thanksgiving weekend vanilla almond granola cereal from Trader Joe's. And now like the whole family's hooked on that. It's it's interesting how there's just so many good products there that you just are constantly uncovering new ones. Yes, I know. It's it's good. It's unfortunately I think the 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 chips are seasonal, so hopefully they will be a year-round thing. Um we might have to pull some strings. I know. I would like to I would I'm, I may lean in on John for that one. Um okay, Stu. So, as we're taping this last night was the CFP show. It's honestly the first one I've sat through this year. <laughs> as you know, it's I'm torture, a- right? It's just kind of like you just bang your head against. I like all the people who are on that show. I just don't like the show. The premises feels forced and everything. But here we are. Um, I, you know, as we're looking at this, and I feel like a lot of people, if chaos happens, all bets are off. No doubt. I mean, so as we're sitting this is sitting here in the wake of that, did anything surprise you that was unveiled last night? Yes. Um, I did not think Ohio State would fall four spots off of a close down to last minute road loss to the number three team in the country. So as of last week, they had Ohio State two, Michigan three. Ohio State loses a close game on the road against that three team, number three team, and now they're number six. That may be completely insignificant because, look, if they had been four, that doesn't mean teams behind them wouldn't have passed them, right? If they won their conference championship game. I think it's interesting for two reasons. One, it tells me that, well, if they're okay dropping a team four spots for for that, that if Georgia loses to Alabama, they would be okay dropping them from one to five. But also you've set yourself up now where I, I think it would be very weird if Ohio State moved up two spots without playing another game. But there is a scenario where that comes into play if Texas and Alabama kind of fall by the wayside so they can't pass Ohio State. And if Florida State and Oregon, the number four and five teams, lose, um, I think that's what most people would expect to happen. And I think it would just be dumb. Like, if there's any chance that you... If there was any chance you think Ohio State can still make the playoff then they should have left them at four or five, not dropped them all the way to six. Uh, I kind of disagree with your your rationale that that because they did this with Ohio State, 
that Georgia could drop four. I I, I think, and I, I there's no way to know this until it happens, if it happens. I don't think they look at Georgia the same way as they look at anybody else. Uh, I get it's this year, not not the last two years, but I still think Georgia would be handled differently than anybody else. Um I could be wrong, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't read into. Oh, they did this with Ohio State, so they can. They're showing they can do this with Georgia. I mean, well, they- yeah, I, I don't. I've gone all over the map on that. Like, I could see Georgia losing a close game to Alabama and only dropping like two spots. Um, that would that would fit, frankly, with what they've done in the past, where they try not to punish a team that lost in the conference title game that much. Um, but you're sitting there right now with um, I mean, I think the one everybody's looking at is Florida state and there was a, so, so I know a couple years ago you would like drive yourself nuts over everything Gary Barta said when he was the chairman, because he yeah. kind of talked around in circles. Boo Corrigan, it's hard to get mad at him because he just doesn't say anything at all. Um, like he is the king of not answering a question. I don't even know why they have these teleconferences with him, frankly, if he's going to say absolutely nothing when somebody asks, asks him, for instance, um, can you take us through the discussion between Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama, and how you guys kind of figured out that order? Well, a lot of conversation early when we went into the room at the end of the day, and then coming back again this morning to make sure that we were hearing every opinion. The good news is everyone's weighing into everything where their opinions are, what the point is on each one of those teams. All 11-1, all good wins, all obviously have lost a game. And looking at it, as we came through the evaluation of that, after weighing many points and making sure that we took our time going through it, we ended up where we did at 5, 6, 7, and 8. Are you kidding me, Boo? He did say on two different occasions, actually first on TV, and then then people was asked about Florida State and Jordan Travis. You know, they're a different team. It's pretty obvious with Jordan Travis not playing and Tate Rodemaker playing. They're a different team, just as anyone would be if they lost their quarterback in that situation. Okay, noteworthy. But despite saying that, Florida State moved up last night. So I think the idea, you know, I think a lot of people are um, adamant that, hey, they're not one of the four best teams anymore without him. They got They can't put them in the playoff. If Georgia loses, they got to stay ahead of that Florida State team. But that's not really what their action reflected last night. Um, I think so either Heather Dinich quoted, um, quoted last night. God, I don't even, I feel bad bringing up Bill cause he just seems like he, he just doesn't say anything. But so I remember seeing our colleague, Nicole Auerbach kind of push back at the, at the, no, it's, it's usually not the four best. It's the four most, it's the most deserving factors into that. And I think, to this point, I have a hard time thinking that if Florida State wins and is an undefeated Power Five champ, which, by the way, beat the third best team in the SEC by a lot, no, it wasn't close, and they scheduled that game, that they would get left out just because people are like, well, their their backup quarterback probably isn't anywhere near as good as their starting quarterback. You know, at the end of the day, like – to me, then all of a sudden you're not really playing the games. How do we know? Um, how you know? How do we know what that guy's going to do in, in crunch time or whatever? You just don't. You just I think you have to go on. What kind of at some point what has happened? And until somebody gets beaten, you have to. I think you you can't keep 
knocking them for what you think they are as opposed to what they've shown to be. A hundred percent. There's, they're not going to drop out without losing. Uh, they're just not. And the quote, you're do you talking think that's about, a manufactured point that people are kind of just to, to, to debate. I, I don't know where that. No, kind of- I think it comes up. It's come up before. I mean, that was frankly the Nick Saban argument last year for Alabama. Like he basically, without calling out TCU, tried to make the suggestion that even though Alabama had two losses, they were still one of the four best teams. And he said that by saying like, ask, you know, these teams who they would want to play right now or whether the Vegas, be thing. Favored, the I Vegas mean, thing. But that was, and nobody had any sympathy for that whatsoever. But well, what's different there, Stu, I think, uh, you know, is TCU was the big 12 champ. I'm sorry. K-State was the big 12 champ. Not, you know, like the Horn Frogs had lost. This is Florida right. State running the table. Yeah, and and to that point, right? Um, no, Florida State winning is going to stay in the ranking. It's not even a question. Last year, what I wanted to bring up is uh, TCU went into the conference championship game 12-0 and and ranked third in the country. They lost, albeit in overtime, and guess where they fell to? Number three in the country. Like, they did not move behind an Ohio State team that didn't play. Now, Ohio State did pass USC after USC got blown out. Um, I think it's look, they, they can do whatever they want and figure out a way to justify it. But let's think about this for a second. If Florida state's the number four team in the country right now, and Ohio state's no, no, let's use Oregon. Oregon's the number five team in the country. And they think Ohio state's one spot worse than them. Let's say Oregon loses again by three points to Washington while Ohio state sits on their couch you're now suddenly, oh, we've changed our mind. Ohio State is better than Oregon. I mean, I think that's what they would do. But the logic behind it is extremely flawed. I don't think Ohio, this Ohio State team, having seen them in person, is the is on the same level as last year's was. And the big reason is, you know, I go to the puncher's chance thing. They had C.J. Stroud last year, and he was – you know, like the guy's lighting up the NFL right now. You know, he is so much better than, and it's not a knock on, it shouldn't be a knock on Kyle McCord, but I feel like there's a big difference in, in these two teams right now. The defense is probably a little better than it was last year, but the offense was so explosive. You saw them have Georgia on the ropes and that didn't feel like it was like altogether fluky, right? They were up by two touchdowns. I don't feel like this Ohio State team is of that caliber. I mean, I don't think they're way off, but I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think they're this. They're they're not the same team to me. Um, and it's a and it's a more crowded field this year. I mean, they basically got back in last year because there wasn't another good choice. USC had just gotten destroyed by Utah. Caleb Williams got hurt. Like you weren't gonna leave them in at the expense of so. But this year we have you know I mean Texas. Uh, Texas is a really good team and they're 12, 11 and one chance to go 12 and one this weekend. And they're stuck down there at number seven. So um, are they stuck? Know. Do you think like if they be a pretty average by conference championship standards or even below average team that I don't think the you know committee or anybody else has a ton of respect for, they're not going to get much of a push off that. Yeah. I mean, they're not, well, they're not going to get much of a push off that, but there's a, it's, there's lots of scenario. Well, not lots. Like, Basically, I think it's pretty straightforward for Texas. They need um, they need the top three, basically, to stay the same. They need Georgia to win, Michigan to win, Washington to win. So you clear out 
Oregon. You clear out Alabama. You Florida State to lose. And then you need Florida State to lose. And then I, I don't even think it would be a question that they would be the fourth team. Um, like they're not going to, what are they going to stay behind? They're going to, they're going to only move up from seven to five and like, no, they, they would be in, in that scenario, but there aren't a lot of other scenarios where they get in. They're definitely, um, I'll tell you who the committee is very high on is Oregon. Uh, you know, the fact that Ohio state dropped below them, right. It's not just that Ohio state fell behind the undefeated teams. They, they are no longer even the highest one loss team Oregon is and asked about Oregon he, he kind of raved with Oregon about the defense, right? We don't necessarily think of that, but first with them, but, you know, he said they, they held Oregon state to six points. They've been averaging 34 points a game. Uh, so, you know, like if, if Oregon wins that, that, like any scenario, any idea that they would not get in if they win, like they're getting in. Um, and so that's, there's not like uh like there's been some sentiment from Texas fans. Hey, we have a better resume than Oregon. Why aren't, why are we behind them? And I think the committee is just very adamant that Oregon's better than them. So they're not going to suddenly like swap places, especially with Oregon playing a 12 and 0 team in the conference championship game. No, I think the two, I think the biggest storylines going to the weekend is what happens to Georgia. If Georgia loses, um, I, I, people will make a lot about the Florida state situation, but I'm with you. If they win, they're in. Yeah. Like uh, I would, I would ask you this. Cause that, that's where I wanted to go to me. The, biggest wild card scenario is if Alabama beats Georgia like 31 20 it's like they win this they don't blow them off the field but it's not like it's it's almost like how Alabama beat Texas I'm sorry how Texas beat Alabama if it was like you know pretty convincing win it wasn't like where they get after them and Carson Beck looks different than he has all year um they don't have as many answers for Jalen Milrose running and Alabama wins, then all of a sudden, you know, is it as simple a swap as Alabama's in? You know, like then it, to me, then though, you still have this Alabama, Texas, potentially Oregon dynamic where, you know, I could see if Alabama wins and it's not close. Like, I think the hard part is if it's an overtime game, then I could see people going, well, they barely beat Georgia. Georgia still, we still think Georgia, you know, it's all that same stuff. Wait, Georgia, you've been, you've been the one telling me for weeks, there's no way they would leave out the SEC champ if they just. Beat I don't think there is. I don't think there is. What I'm saying is at one point is like, you know, does, does Texas get snubbed or do they turn around and snub the Pac-12? Um, no, the, the, the question there becomes uh, there's no chance they would snub the Pac-12. No, I don't. I think they made that pretty. They've made that pretty clear with the way they've handled Oregon. That that whoever wins that game is in. Here's the here's the thing though. Um, what if Georgia only drops like from one to three? Like what if they say like the the one where the the one scenario where maybe comes into play a Florida State going undefeated and not making it is if they just genuinely feel Georgia's a better team than Florida State and we're not going to leave them out to keep Florida State in. Didn't we just argue about this or not argue about this? Like we like, did. I don't want to like, let's, let's not even go down this road anymore. <laughs> I will say, well, look, I'll say this, like this makes for a heck of a conference championship weekend because I don't think, I can't think of another time when there were this many scenarios still in play. Now it could be that everybody, all the undefeated teams win and it's, that's it, right? Like there's no, there's nothing really to figure out. I don't see that happening. I, it I has think been it's a mostly be, chalk season, by the way. It's been a very chalk season. 
that's how we still have four undefeated teams, which has never happened before. Power five teams. Uh, I just, it seems too easy for the committee. Like something's going to happen this weekend that, that throws the whole thing off. Um, but, you know, and it makes for a lot of great conference championship games. Like there have definitely been years where a lot of the conference championship games, you, you knew going into them, like Thompson's going to destroy whoever they're playing in the ACC. Um, Alabama was playing, you know, like there's really only one of those this weekend. I think we can pencil Michigan in. The others are, you know, competitive games with uh, playoff implications for one, if not both teams. Uh, the thing about this week, Bruce, is like, okay, that's, that's the focal point of the sport, but also we've got all this coaching movement. We've got notable players entering the portal. Um, you know, starting with the coaching carousel, I believe we left off on Sunday speculating like what big splash hire Texas A&M was going to make. And then it turned out to be Mike Elko. And they seem, I mean, the A&M fans are, are fired up to bring Mike Elko back. But there's other people who are like, and how is that much different than having hired Mark Stoops, who you rebelled against? I think it's different because at least it's a guy who's been there, who's worked there. Um, I think he's, you know, he's in his mid forties. He's what, 10 years younger than Mark Stoops or so. I think that maybe they feel like, okay, that energy will help um, get things across. I don't, you know, again, I, I think Elko to me, the two choices that I thought would have been the most realistic at the, as the beginning of the search were Elko and then I would say Lance Leipold because we're just kind of both blown away by what Lance Leipold does everywhere he do- goes. But, you know, look, Elko's done really well. I, th- I know the people who worked with him are very high on him. And we'll see, you know, again, I mean, I don't think there was the, the splashy, easy, you know, this guy's the home run name. I think it's a good hire. I, we'll see if he can get it done. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, I I um, you know I think a lot of people just were kind of bracing themselves for okay, you know, like you put out the possibility of Ryan Day, you know, them trying to make their huge splash higher in the end. It was somebody who made a lot of sense from the beginning, and I think you know, knowing that if they offered him, he would go. I think it's uh, hard, to, like you know, the people they can reach out to, you know, like Oklahoma or Texas A&M can swing for the fences on some of these. At the end of the day. I think a lot of coaches know, yeah, you have great resources, but nobody's won there big ever. Did you see the anchor, the the, the clip of the sport? I won't find his name and give him credit, but the sports anchor in Dallas who did like a, a very straight up monologue about, um, you know, he wishes Mike Elko luck. He thinks he could be good there. And then gets into like this idea that A&M thinks they should be elite, one of the elite programs in the country, win national championships. And he just kind of straight deadpan goes, based on what? <laughs> and then gets into like the fact that they've they've never done that before. Um, but it's true. Like Mike Elko will be deemed a success if he does things that have haven't happened at that school since 1939. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Bruce, a weird thing, a, a unique thing for me happened in the coaching carousel. Syracuse hired a coach, and I didn't know who he was. Uh, what, you never I, heard of Fran Brown? I had never heard of Fran Brown. Uh, they're like, oh, he's, they're hiring the Georgia uh, defensive backs coach. And so then I look it up, and it's like, well, he, he's been there the last two years. But now I see why they're hiring him. Most of his experience is in the Northeast. Temple, he, he he was with Matt Rule basically. You know that I got to 
I got to be honest. So that was, you know, so we first reported that he was the guy they were targeting. And when I was told this, I was kind of incredulous that this was, that he was the guy they were going with because he has no head coaching experience, no real coordinator experience. Um, That's why I had never heard of him. And I had made a couple other calls before we put it out there just to like, really? And I had talked to people inside Syracuse who were honestly pretty skeptical of this. And they, um, they were surprised the direction. I know there was some momentum for like, so Bob Chesney is a well-regarded FCS coach. He's at Holy cross. He's from Pennsylvania. I know a lot of people there liked him. I think there was the, the kind of the dream scenario for some old Syracuse people was that Syracuse would do some kind of bridge to get, get through February where they would go with Jeff Stoutland, who's the Eagles offensive line coach considered by pretty much everybody to be the best offensive line coach in the world. And he's paid really well, but he's on a team that is probably in has real Super Bowl hopes. It's a guy I've heard has always been intrigued by the job. But the timetable was going to be rough. Do you have? Do you take the chance that you're going to have some other form of the leadership in place to bridge to him till like mid February? And if you believe he's the guy, then maybe that's the direction you go in. But again, you know the people I've talked to are like, yeah, John Wildhack isn't. You know, like I mean, he was a he was an outside the box hire as an AD. This is a roll of the dice. Syracuse football is in a really weird time frame to begin with, because I think there are some people close to Syracuse who feel like, you know what, if we get this higher wrong, we could drift off the uh, major college football map. I'm I want to, you know, I do one thing I do want to say is like, I'm not somebody who thinks you have to be a coordinator have reached the coordinator level to be a good head coach. Fun fact, Urban Meyer was a wide receivers coach at Notre Dame when he became a head coach. Um, in some cases, the coordinator is just Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney, Sweeney, not a coordinator. Right? I mean, it's a totally different job unless you're doing what Ryan Day and, and Lincoln Riley do. For the most part, running a college football program is a different job than calling plays. Um, the other thing I want to give Syracuse credit for, saw this. They are only the second school this century that fired an African-American coach and replaced him with an African-American coach. One of the things that's always been brought up, why that number is so low, is there's no second chances. Um, so they fired Dino Babers, they hire Fran Brown. But yeah, I'll, I didn't know who he was. I wish him all the best. You know, I hope he has great success at Syracuse. But that is literally the first time in my whole career that a Power 5 school hired a head coach that I didn't know who it was. Um, Oregon State, interestingly with Oregon State, they did interview some very well-known coaches, but in the end chose to promote their defensive coordinator, Trent Bray, who's had a lot of success there, um, who played there under Dennis Erickson. Do you think that is Scott Barnes interviews, you know, the Bronco, Bronco Mendenhalls of the world and decides, nope, the best guy for the job is the guy we have? Or shoot, if we don't promote from within, the whole roster is going to transfer. I think it's probably a combination of both. I have, honestly have no idea. I was talking to our friends Lin Lindsay Schnell, who is a you know proud Oregon State Beaver and knows that program and has covered it for a while. And I don't have like let's be honest, we don't. You know, we may have 
inklings of how we feel certain guys are going to do, which you just really don't know, you know, like, um, I don't know. It might be, a, it might be a good hire. It might not. I, I, I can't, I don't have a great feel for it on that one. You know, I mean, there's certain hires. I'm like, yeah, I can like John Sumrall was a guy who was a, who was a defensive coach who I was like, yeah, that guy's going to be a star and he's done really well at Troy. Then there's a few other ones where I was like, oh, I think this is like Jeff Halfley was a guy I thought was a great fit at Boston college. He struggled. You no, know, he's, you know, we got him to a bowl this year, but I, and I, you know, there are guys you have a feel for and you, and there are certain guys you're like, I don't know, you know, well, like, you don't have to look far from examples of guys that we thought were going to be home runs that failed spectacularly, whether, you know, the most prominent recent one being Scott Frost, right? You just, Scott you. Frost to me was the perfect example of, wow, we really don't know. Like <laughs> this, this seemed about as perfect a hire as a school could make. And it just went spectacularly wrong. You know, Tom Herman, I thought, like wasn't as bad as as people maybe remember him to be, but he got fired in four years. Scott and- Frost. Scott Frost. It was hard about the Scott Frost thing was Scott Frost was not a first time head coach, you know. And it was a rel- it was a short right. sample size, two years. But like that's the part what was different, you know. It's like it's the first time head coach. You know, both these guys are defensive guys. You know, they're on completely opposite ends of the country. But they're guys, you know, who will see what's going to be, you know, when they when they're in the big chair. All right, here's a coaching hire thing we have to talk about, but it's not a head coach. Now, this hasn't been made official yet, so maybe it could still fall through. But multiple reports yesterday, including on the Athletic, Arkansas is going to bring back Bobby Petrino as offensive coordinator. Of all of the schools and all of the coaches, <laughs> for that to happen. I mean, nothing truly surprises anymore in college football, but my gosh, Arkansas, like how desperate are you? You're hiring back a coach who was fired from the school, not just for having an affair, for hiring his, for getting his mistress a job at the athletic department. Um, I was going back and reading Jeff Long's termination letter. One of the things that was cited was, he had given her a $20,000 gift. She went and used to buy a car and he, and Jeff Long's like, you failed to disclose that when you recommended her for a job, therefore you're fired for cause. There's even a clause in the board of regents, you know, Arkansas board of regents that somebody who's fired for fired for cause cannot be reemployed by the university of Arkansas. Unless the president of the school gives an exception. This seems like a lot of trouble when, you know, I do have, I do think he's been a great offensive coach over his career, but you're telling me there wasn't somebody else without that history that you could hire as the offense coordinator. Nothing, nothing shocks me at this point in college football. Nothing shocks me. Um, It's very, you know, we text about it. It's very sec, right? Like nothing's going to stop somebody from hiring, you know, and I do think this was, you know, we'll, we'll, I think it's a PR move. I think Sam Pittman is in hot water there. They're not going to fire him, but the fans have basically decided they've had enough of him and he's never going to get it back together. Well, Bobby Petrino is still very popular among Arkansas fans. There's a lot of them that wanted him to get the job, the head coaching job when Sam Pittman got it. So this seems to me like a way of, oh, okay, maybe we'll give Sam Pittman another chance because he brought back Bobby Petrino, which they look at as a big win. I don't know if that's the whole fan base, but at least the ones I heard from on Twitter. Yeah, we'll see how it works out. I mean, it it won't be boring, that's for sure.
Um, all right, transfer portal real quick. Now, the transfer portal does not officially open until uh, Monday, but we are seeing a lot of guys go ahead and say, I'm entering the portal, and some pretty big names. Not, I mean, we don't have like a Sam Hartman yet, but you know, some notable who, who stands out to you as okay, this guy's going to be sought after. I think like we do have a Sam Hartman or then, I mean, just from the quarterbacks, KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. Yeah, that's a big one. It's a big one, literally, and it you know, figuratively. The only the only thing I would say there is he's really he he had a rough year. Uh, he's had his you know I, I actually we I remember us talking about him this summer. We think he, yeah because he's, really he's they, yeah I remember seeing him in San Diego where he worked on a lot of under center stuff because Dan Enos was taken over and that didn't work out for anybody there. Um, Will Rogers, another quarterback who was through different systems, you know, was an air raid guy under Mike Leach. And then Kevin Barbe came in to run the offense under Arnett, and that didn't work out great. Uh, Will Howard, who's a really good quarterback. That's the one I'm most excited about in terms of potential Uh, for another team. Tyler Van Dyke, who had a good year a couple years ago at Miami and then has been really up and down since then. Uh, There's a bunch of of dudes in there quarterback-wise. We'll see, you know, Riley Leonard, Cameron Ward, you know, Malik Murphy from Texas, maybe Aiden Childs from Oregon State. You know, there's a lot of guys people are are keeping an eye on. Here's a couple more. These are just, I'm not saying these are, you know, necessarily great, you know, impact guys, but they've started at a Power 5 school. Mish Griffiths at Wake Forest, Jerry Bohannon at USF, who used to be a Baylor. Um, Noah Kim, Michigan State starting quarterback this uh, much of this season. Um, you know, I think... Well, one thing that's very clear, and this is not a transfer portal one, but you know, Cam Rising recently announced he's coming back for a seventh season. NIL is causing a lot of these guys to to stand, and if they have the COVID year, stay in college for as long as humanly possible. Because that was my first thought when I saw the KJ Jefferson news. I, it never occurred to me that he would be back in college football next season. Um, there's, you know, we saw that obviously this year with with Penix and Nix and some others, but like guys, instead of all right, moving on. I'm going to try to make an NFL roster. Our our maxima are taking advantage of every last opportunity to be a college quarterback, and and I do think a big part of that is they can make money while they're doing it. Absolutely, I remember Max and I did a story on it in the Tampa Portal kind of thing we referred to, where one of the coaches was very specific. The agents who used to be able to lure a kid who was a borderline prospect to come out maybe there'll be a fourth or fifth round pick and that kid may have got undrafted now they can lure them to stay maybe they lure them into the transfer portal where they can where they can try to go up to the highest bidder and there's all sorts of like you know because i've in our reporting already because i'm working on a story with max again upcoming that there's just a lot of chatter about oh this school's interested in this guy and then you call the school and they're like no we're not in that but some agent is telling the you know the school or their collective people that and it's just you know this used to be frustrating because i remember you know there's some really sketchy agents who are doing on the you know come to light with all the uh all the NIL stuff and they were BSing people to try to goose the market. And that's still going on. Yeah. But what's interesting, what's interesting about it is, you know, this has all evolved very quickly. So we're about uh, 19, 20 months removed from the Nico deal, which, you know, basically shattered everybody's, you know, whatever conception of how much money could be at play. 
and started this notion and it continued all of last year that basically recruiting high school players is a big bidding war now. But what I think we've seen over the last year is a lot of that is moving to the portal and you have both schools, collectives that are trying to lower transfers. And then you have uh, a lot of the kind of mid-level schools who are trying to use the collective to, to keep their roster intact, to try to avoid guys getting poached, like imploring, you know, Dave Doran uh, said this to the, to the NC state, like we need donations or else it, people are going to pick apart our roster. So that it, that's become, it's like, not only do you, you know, want to go out and get transfers to upgrade your roster, you also have to re-sign your own players. It would be so great if we could all just be transparent about this and like a school could put out a press release, like it's in pro sport, that like, hey, we've re-signed Cam Ward, uh, if that ends up happening with Washington State. All right, mailbag time. I did ag- <laughs> I did get access back to our account. As always, you can send your emails to audiblepod at gmail.com. Here's an interesting one from Mark. Uh are there any coaches from the college world that would be interested or sought after for the Carolina Panthers NFL head coaching job in Charlotte, which just came open? And he mentions Harbaugh. I think the pool for these guys is really small right now because we have seen, and look, the Panthers, it's not that long ago, they tried, they hired a successful college coach who bombed there in Matt Rule, right? You know, Urban Meyer famously, spectacularly bombed as the head coach of the Jaguars. Very few guys in college football, especially guys who don't have any NFL experience, are going, people are going to give them the keys to the kingdom. The one guy who I think probably does make some sense is is the one guy in college who had a lot of success in the NFL as a coach, and that's Jim Harbaugh. Now, whether Jim Harbaugh, I don't know if 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 the Panthers is the way to go. I don't know if he loves, you know, Bryce Young. He, he and Biff Pogey would be hanging out in Charlotte together. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, or does he look and go, hey, the Chargers could come open. I've spent a lot of time in that part of the country, and I know they have a big athletic quarterback who's really talented, and they have a bunch of receivers, and maybe that would be more attractive to him. I don't know. But I just don't think there's a lot of college coaches who are going to be very attractive. You know, like Ryan Day coached in the NFL as an assistant for a little while. You know, Lincoln Riley hasn't. You start going through the list, there's not a lot of guys who are like, the idea, and I'm not saying this is floating out there now. It may have been, a, you know, a couple of years ago. Somebody going, "Hey, Dabo Sweeney's had a lot of success at Clemson. Let's give him a shot in the NFL." I think that's a tougher, way tougher sell now that people have seen the track records of this. Jerry Swider, uh, outlook for two-year head coaches. Four former defensive coordinators have been successful in their first two years as head coaches: Dan Lanning at Oregon, Brent Venables at Oklahoma, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, and Mike Elko now at Texas A&M. Which of the four do you think has accomplished the most to date? I think there's a pretty obvious answer to that one. And given conference realignment, playoff expansion, and Elko's case, job change, who do you think has the most promising future? Okay, I think I'm going to speak for you and say Dan Lanning probably wins the first part of that. Yep. Um, but Elko really did did very well at Duke. It's a tough place, and then he landed a huge job out yeah. of it. Uh, no question. Uh, He's done a great job. I just... Dan Lanning is one win away from taking his team to the playoffs. So um, he's my answer to both, frankly. Like I, I even, I would think since an early part of the season, I just came to realize like this guy's got it. That this is, this is, he just inspired, you know, how some coaches like, it's just kind of an it thing. Like this guy just inspires confidence. And I don't know if it was the halftime speech of the Colorado game that they showed uh, some of his other press conference stuff, but like, 
he he inspires confidence and you can see where I can I can now see the impact he must have had on the on the great um 2021 Georgia team. So I'm not ruling out any of the other guys to be clear. But if I'm like surest bet of who's gonna maybe win a national championship at some point, it would be him. Yeah. I the other thing that I think is has caught my eye is Dan Lenny's taken some chances on guys where I think a lot of people would be like, oh, we'll see how this is going to work. But like, you know, he's Alik Terry, who played at Wake Forest not that long ago, um, and is a pretty young O-line coach, has done really, really well. I mean, I think the combination of Lanning and Tosh Lupoy on defense has turned out better than I think a lot of people at Alabama, you know, in the SEC might have thought it would have been. Uh, I was very skeptical of the Tosh Lupoy hire, given, given. Well, they're really good, you know, right? Yeah, that, even yeah exactly. Two very young play callers, first Kenny Dillingham and now Will Stein, guys who are respected, but they're really young, have fit very, very well. Like some of the guys, like Junior Adams is a really well thought of receivers coach. I'm not surprised. Like Junior Adams is really good. But, you know, I think that when you, it's a young staff, and I think Dan Lanning, you know, I'm agreeing with you a thousand percent. I mean, like he is really impressive. He's impressive when you look at, when you see what he's doing, he's impressive when you talk to him on one-on-one and you hear his vision. Um, he's got it. I, I totally agree with you. From Andrew, uh, watching Cal, you at the Rose Bowl Saturday night in the last Pac-12 regular season game, at least for a while, he says, uh, I found myself asking myself, why is this happening? As the game announcers, Dave Fleming and Brock Osweiler, both Pac-12 alums, schools speak glowingly about the conference's history, both on and off the field, reminisce themselves as to how this could happen. Um, and so let me get to his question in here. Um, with the benefits of these schools not joining new conferences, will they outweigh by the obstacles, including financial and student well-being costs from extra travel and ability to compete on a regular basis, leading all or a majority of these schools to look to rejoin the existing conference or form a new West Coast base one. Am I crazy for thinking this? First of all, I definitely got caught off guard by how much people were treating that Cal UCLA game as the last Pac-12 game. Like I kind of assumed the one in Vegas is the last one, but they were doing like they're all you know best Pac-12 players ever. Uh, Pac-12 Network basically ran an obituary for the conference, and I'm I'm like like Andrew, like I keep waiting to wake up one day and hear this is this is not happening. Like it just it's so stupid and so and it was so avoidable. And the level of incompetence required for this conference to be going away, and and schools going to conferences where frankly I don't they don't in some cases don't even want to be doing it. They're just doing it out of desperation is is insane and so on that spirit i definitely think the non-revenue sports will have a a awakening pretty quickly like i I think you'll get two three years into that and be like yeah we we gotta we gotta undo this somehow we gotta let our cross-country team not have to do all this travel football i don't know i mean the these these schools have locked themselves into grant of rights they are part of big tv contracts like, I certainly don't think USC and UCLA will be backing out of the Big Ten in football. Uh, probably not Oregon or Washington. Stanford and Cal is the weirdest one to me, but I didn't really have a choice to go to the ACC. And look, nothing happens quickly. Like, maybe 10 years from now, they'll find a way to reform some sort of West Coast football conference. But it's not going to happen, you know, next year or the year after. 
Hey, let's end with Stephen Block, and it's an interesting one. Do either or both of you feel a need to apologize to your loyal listeners and readers for the nonstop coverage of Colorado through the entire first month of the college football season? And he uses the example at the back. This was basically Linsanity if Jeremy Lin had scored eight points a game coming off the bench against the Charlotte Hornets and Orlando Magic. Okay, for one, it wasn't just us. I mean, the first month of the season, Colorado was the biggest story, right? I think a couple of things happened here. So first of all, this is team was built essentially like a seven on seven team, really good skill guys, no linemen. And it got exposed over time, especially as when depth kicked in and they, it's a, it's an attrition sport. I mean, the timing of, of uh, Steven's question is, is good just because I worked on a deep dive into what happened at Colorado this year and can Deion Sanders get it fixed to make another big step up in year two. Cause keep in mind, they did improve a lot. Like I get it. They, they, they fizzled out, but they went from one win last year where they got blown off the field in every game other than that win and to four wins. And at one point they, you know, they, they had a bunch of other games, by the way, that they were within a touchdown. They are winning. So yes, they got, they looked like Dion looked sick, which I heard he might've been when they played in Wazoo and they got destroyed. But I think the challenges going forward for them are, can he do the things where you're talking about like upgrade massively a position that is a developmental position in the offensive line? And so all the stuff that that um, fell apart for them and came, you know, is, is weird because the coaches we talked to going into the year who were all really skeptical and then they were doing mea culpas after they watched Dion and Colorado beat. TCU, you know, them beating Nebraska, I don't think like Nebraska is a really average team. It was at Colorado. That didn't shock me. It was the TCU game that kind of made the season, you know, beating Colorado state, you know, no matter who's the head coach at Colorado, that's, sh- that should happen. But and I think we, I think we actually made this point at the time. It turned out to be exactly like the Notre Dame, Texas, Texas's back game where you thought they had just gotten a big win, but actually Notre Dame ended up going four and eight that year. They beat TCU in the first game after TCU played in the national title game. Didn't know they were going to end up five and seven. The one it was thing a I would point spread, by the way. The one thing I would say is I think there's a difference between if you want to say, hey, do you guys think you should apologize for being so premature in your conclusions that Dion was a great, great coach? Sure. Like we were. We jumped to we knee jerk reaction that one. But the idea that we shouldn't have covered it the way we did, like we didn't. And I say we, the athletic, but everybody else, like it doesn't, those decisions don't, aren't based on, on nothing. Like we have all these metrics. We've been covering Dion since the day he got hired. And it was clear over the off season that anything, people could not get enough of anything Dion even then. And then the season started. The one to me, it was like when 9 million something people watched a 1030 PM Eastern Colorado, Colorado state game on ESPN. You're like, this is truly just a stratospheric story at this point. And so as a journalist, your instinct is not to say, you know what, we've we've written enough about this. It's people cannot get enough of this story. We're going to keep covering it. Now, once they started losing, there was not nearly as many Dion stories on The Athletic. You respond to reality of the situation. But that first month of the season, no matter what ended up happening the rest of the way, um, that interest was legit. As always, send your questions to at gmail.com. We will be back Sunday after... The final college football rankings come out and we have the playoff field set. 
It's going to be an awesome weekend. Enjoy it.